Hello, how's it going? My name is Harrison Greenbaum, and you are now watching Who Puts That with Harrison Greenbaum, presented by the International Brotherhood of Magicians, the other IBM. And uh, we'll be live streaming to you regularly Mondays and Wednesdays here at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, interviewing the top magicians and entertainers in the world. And boy, do we have an incredible guest. I am so excited. So make some noise, get excited for Matt King, everybody. How are you doing? It looks like it's going to be me and you, I guess, huh? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You look like you're in your doomsday bunker. Yeah. I three, see three people do, giving live comments already. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, hi, hi, how are you doing, Melissa and Brett and the great Arjunia? Yeah. Ar wow. The great Arjunia's magic. Hi. Yes. <laughs> Just in case you didn't know from the great at the beginning. <laughs> right? <laughs> Well, I'll give you your intro because uh, I'm sure everybody who's tuning in already knows about you, but to fill everybody in, because uh, I did read your Wikipedia, uh, you were born in Louisville, Kentucky. You met your wife in the audience in 1985, the year before I was born. You moved to LA in 1987, the year after I was born, and then to Las Vegas in 1997. You had your first television appearance on An Evening at the Improv, appeared in all five World's Greatest Magics. Uh, you started your run at Harris Casino January 11, 2000, where you've been running for 20 years. Uh, you raise money for Optimist International's JOOI of Reading program, generating thousands of books for needy children, uh, and is an acclaimed author and entrepreneur with Magic in a Minute, the comic strip, your Lunchbox O-Magic, your book O-Magic, and in terms of reviews for your show, um, The Best Magic Show in Las Vegas by the Dallas Morning News, which is weird because that's in Texas. The best bargain price show by Las Vegas Review Journal, which seems like a backhanded compliment, and yeah, Pure Genius by Joe Bob Briggs, who I have never heard of, and the premier comedy magician in the world today by Magic Magazine, a magic magazine that doesn't exist. Uh, so happy to have you. How are you doing in Las Vegas? I'm great. Uh, you got that from Wikipedia? Uh, and a, a couple of other sources. Yeah, I was stupid around. Were, like an updated bio, if you would wish. <laughs> And what have you been up to in the last week? I can add it. Anybody can add to Wikipedia. Oh, yeah. Okay. I should have. I, well, I got plenty of time. <laughs> I'm sorry. I guess uh, I feel weird that you're you're not dressed up and I am. So I, I can, if you want, I can make it a little bit more comfortable. I didn't know yeah. it was supposed to be formal. Yeah. Well, it's Matt King. When you get to interview a legend, you got to dress up. But just in case, I, 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 I'm pressed. I uh, to wear a Matt King suit, but then, wait. There we go. So now we're a little bit, that seems a little bit more informal, I think. Oh, plaid for me. It's very yeah, the Mad King plaid. <laughs> and if it gets too hot, I have a, thir a third outfit underneath. <laughs> but I guess we could kick this thing off. Um, I don't have anything on, but I don't mind taking this here, take off. Take it off. Take it off. <laughs> yeah. This is snaps, by the way. So there's a big reveal. Oh, I was watching <laughs> when you did that. There you go. That's the only shirt that I have that does that. Uh, and now it's broken. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's get into the questions. Um, so let's, let's talk about the quarantine first. Uh, how's it been? What has it been like in Vegas? Uh, what have you been doing to keep yourself busy? Well, I don't know about the rest of the world, but I mean, we're not having any quarantine here in Las Vegas. I've been doing shows. People <laughs> 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 I like that. A bunch of people just bought plane tickets to Las Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, our daughter uh, goes to school in New York. She's home. My wife's here. Uh, my wife's marriage and family therapist. And she's seeing clients in another room right now uh, via the same. I mean, 
not the same platform, but a, a HIPAA compliant platform. So we're just all hanging out. It's been great. The other night we played um, uh, Quiplash, a video game. Uh, video people all over the country, like eight or ten friends all over the country. Uh, so you know, I miss having people over, but I'm still enjoying myself. And which uh, with Quiplash, it's all about coming up with the funniest line in the moment. So do you feel like you're cheating a little bit with with other friends who are not professional comedy magicians? Uh, I think everyone who was there was a professional comedy magician or juggler or comic. Straight. Oh, that's amazing. Who won? Uh, I won a couple times. Uh, Nick Defot won a couple times. Um, I can't remember who else. Oh, that's awesome. My, my wife won, actually. My, my daughter won. My daughter's actually the funniest. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. She's my mom once was interviewed for a newspaper article about me and said my sister is the funnier one. Oh, yeah. Well, everybody knows I'm the least funny person in my family. My sister and brother are funnier. My cousin is funnier. My uh, dad was funnier. He's less funny now that he's dead. But uh, <laughs> Still funnier than some of the magicians we've seen. <laughs> right. Still funnier than many people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my uncle is funny. Uh, everybody's funnier than me, but I'm the only one who makes any dough off of it. Well, you so let's get into that a little bit because you, you're both your grandfathers were magicians. So how how does that happen? Well, like, like, magic? Meaning they knew a couple of tricks. They were both uh, salespeople. My, one owned a service station and one owned a uh, insurance agency. So they but they used magic like icebreakery kind of things with clients and taught me tricks when I was a kid. And is your daughter named after one of them? Is Ellie and Elwood connected? Uh, no, uh, my, her full name is Elizabeth, but she's, and we call her Eli actually. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So she's been called Eli all her life. Uh, so she's named, um, my wife has a grandmother named Elizabeth and I have a sister and a grandmother named Elizabeth. So it was a family name. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And then we, then uh, her middle name was uh, picked by uh, Johnny Thompson, Penn Jillette, Michael Godot, uh, at uh, dinner at Pepper Mill here in town. Her middle name is Sky, uh, and we were just trying to come up with really horrible names. Like if it was a boy, if, we were, if it was a boy, we were gonna we joke that we should call him Joe, and then his name would be Joe King. But oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, uh, just and then Sky, uh, you're too young to know this, but there was a TV show when I was a really little kid uh, called The Adventures of Sky King. Ah, uh, and uh, I it's don't know. Weird, it's weird to turn to Penn though for naming it because he is a, he is a kid named Moxie Crime Fighter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's the right. most creative name right now. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, speaking of which, yeah, the other night I was star for sports, and I'm looking at ESPN. And there's the Moxie games. You ever heard of that? No. It's are, they, are people trying to play basketball via webcam? No. It, it's a it's a bunch of jugglers. You know Jason Garfield. He's a juggler. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, it's like the juggling Olympics. And you can what, do that alone. That's okay. Yeah, you can it do. Okay well, competing as a juggler. from uh, I don't know how many how many months ago, but uh, uh, the passing zone were commentators. Penn was a commentator. Um, and I, I assume since it's called the Moxie Games, I haven't asked Ben, but I assume he put up some money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. And 
And but one of the events, two, two, I mean, two of them were incredible. One of them, actually, three of them were incredible. One is like juggling fighting, where you're juggling three clubs and you try to knock a club out of the other guy's hand and interrupt his pattern. And whoever keeps juggling last is the winner. So was that invented when somebody's mom kept trying to stop him from being a juggler? Probably. And then there was also, no. uh, then there was dodgeball juggling and they had like the professional dodgeball guys behind the line. And then there were like eight or 10 guys juggling three clubs and the dodgeball guys were trying to you had, screw up their patterns. And the last juggler standing was the winner. So that's amazing. Your Guinness Book of World Records would fit in that category of weird stuff. Uh, the, uh, yeah, the world's longest game of telephone. Yeah. How did you come up with that? Was that, did you actively, were you like, I need a record? Uh, kind of. Yeah. We were just trying to think of stupid publicity ideas. And, uh, so, and then, then I had a method for, uh, predicting the ending. So I, it just, I don't know. I got all my buddies to do it and Harris got on board. That was 15 years ago or more. I don't know. I don't know whether that record still stands. I have no idea. I know. It's amazing. Um, well, let's get it. Let's get into the, uh, yeah, you got some actual, Oh, somebody just said, I saw contact combat juggling. Yeah. It was fantastic. Oh yeah. And then Mike Hammer actually asked, uh, Kentucky has television. <laughs> I'm not in Kentucky, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we have, we have television. And uh, that's how I learned about shoes, actually. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so what you've been doing the show now for 20 years in Harris, and you've been performing for many years more than that. What year, you, what, what, what year were what? you born? What year were you born? 1986. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. And I'd already been doing magic full time for five years when you were born. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> I'm dating somebody who's 26, and she makes me feel old. You're dating somebody who's 26? She got me a she got me a birthday card that was a happy birthday. Wait, 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 wait. I think that's the wrong pronoun. Yeah, exactly. Yes, my girlfriend who's in there that it won't come out at any point during this interview. All right. It's the new Canada. It's my quarantine closet. Yes, got it. <laughs> but what do you when you were developing the show? Like, I think some people experience their development as a step. You know, they, they're stepwise. Some people have it as a gradual. Some people have it exponential. How would you look at your act as developing over time? Um, instantaneous. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Step, probably that. I mean, I've been really lucky, uh, and I'm sure the same for you, you feel like. I've always had, you know, I've been at the right place at the right time to have the right places to do a bunch of bunch of shows. I started to say shit look, but I think we're not supposed to say shit. Uh, uh, you know, when I, uh, when I was in college, I got a job at this amusement park in the summers doing three shows a day, seven days a week. Huge strides there. I mean, doing that many, you know, 21, sometimes as many, some of on busy days, sometimes we did six shows. And so, and then, when that was done, comedy clubs, you know, in the middle of that, comedy clubs kind of started sprouting up around the country outside of New York and L.A. and Chicago. And I got in on the ground floor of that, you know, and started as a middle act there. And, um, you know, I did the, did was a middle act for 
couple of years and then started headlining. And so, I mean, you know, in those places, you, you know, seven to 10 shows a week at the time. Um, and then after that, um, Las Vegas and so, and 10 shows a week here. So it's just been, you know, and each of those, you know, this little amusement park, Tombstone Junction, I did it with, um, what's his name? Lance Burton. Um, <laughs> I did three summers with him. The two of us did one or a, you know, two person show. And then I did, uh, two more summers by myself while he was on the tonight show. <laughs> <laughs> and, what was that uh, phone call like? Take me back to that phone call. <laughs> Guess what I'm doing. You mean, <laughs> well, no, you're on the phone. He's like, I'm getting ready to go on the tonight show. And he's like, Oh, so what are you up to? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm getting ready. To, yeah, I'm getting ready to do a show uh, in this, you know, building with concrete floors where they serve hamburgers and Coca Colas. <laughs> Enjoy. Uh, and I'm watching it with your girlfriend. I'm watching your first appearance with your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So that was the only consolation. <laughs> and I had heard that he was the reason that you moved out. Was he one of the main people who were telling you to move out to Vegas? Yeah, I mean, when I, uh, you know, 20 years ago, I got married in 85 and like 87, so 23 years ago, uh, my wife and I moved to L.A. Um, and so we lived there for 10 years. And he kept, yeah, he kept saying, you should move to Las Vegas. You should move to Las Vegas. This is the perfect spot for you. And I'm like, I don't think it is the perfect spot for me. I don't have that kind of show, really. I mean, I you know. It's just me standing there doing tricks and, uh, you know, at the time also, I mean, I really, I don't know, uh, you probably do some straight stand-up shows where you don't do any magic. Yeah, all the time. Although it's as straight as I, I'm able to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the, uh, uh, but I mean, for me to be accepted in those clubs at the time, I mean, I, I didn't do straight stand up, but I did, you know, try to be as close to a comic as I could. I mean, I didn't have any music cues or any kind of production. It was me and a mic on a stand and a bar stool with my little suitcase of crap. And, you know, uh, because I really wanted, I mean, I don't know whether it's insecurity or not, but it was just one of the things I really wanted was to be accepted by those guys uh, that I admired. And, and so it was great to be, you know, as a middle act sitting in the back of the room, watching these guys and how they structured their show and the people, you know, and how, the, how much time they spent, you know, being on the road with these guys, how much time they spent, you know, in, in between shows working on, you know, what they were going to say that night, changing one word here and there and just you know, the amount of time. And it's, Sad to say, I mean, that's a little different than the way a lot of magicians are. I mean, they don't. Yeah. I mean, do you think you were more influenced by the comedians at that point than the magicians? Um, I mean, I, I, you know, Jay Leno, I worked with him a number of times and he kept trying to convince me, hey, give up that magic shit. <laughs> uh, you're funny and, you know, people love you, you know, your personality, et cetera. And you don't need that. And I'm like, well, it's not something I'm not doing it because I need it. I'm doing it because I love it. And so I get that all the time. People, I think the comedians look at like, oh, this guy, you don't need the handicap. Right. Yeah. Right. Play, the, play it, play without the the training wheels. Right. And yeah. And Penn, Penn, 
you know, Penn chided me all over my, uh, uh, you know, for many, many years saying, you know, you would be super, super famous if you would give up magic. Jay Leno was right. And I'm like, I don't, you know, I'm not in this to be famous. I'm in it because I love being a magician. And so, and, and at that time, uh, <laughs> did you, did that Mike Hammer thing just show up on your screen? Yes. Oh yeah. Show it to everybody. Oh, <laughs> well, we'll get to the rest of it a little bit. One of the jokes I wanted to say was, uh, it's so exciting to be with so many talented and incredible magicians and Mike Hammer. Ah, right. Uh, uh, the, so, you know, I, I never want, I mean, I didn't look at it as a crutch or, but I did, but, but their acceptance was meant a lot to me. And so I, I structured my, or, you know, those clubs were just amazing uh, training ground in that also, I mean, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with this, but I mean, a lot of the people who book those clubs, they don't even watch many of the nights, you know, they're in the office ordering beer and counting money. And yeah, so they're, what they're looking at is laughs per minute. You know, I mean, if they can, if they're sitting in their little cubby hole in the back and they can hear you laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh, um, that's what they want. And that was great. Uh, you know, to put those expectations on myself too, to, you know, have that, those, that time between the laughs be as short as possible too. I say that in my lecture every time that a comedian's trying to go every 20 seconds with a laugh and comedy musicians sometimes are every two to three minutes. And it's about closing that gap because you, you can, it is possible to get a laugh every 10, 20 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not always a giant one, but it, yeah. And you were talking earlier about Lance telling, uh, uh, getting you to come out to Las Vegas from oh, Las yeah, Vegas. yeah, so I got sidetracked. I'm sure I'll do that. Oh yeah, no, no worries. All this, uh, yeah. So he, when we were in LA and I was working, you know, he would say, "Come move here, move here, move here." I'm like, I just don't think I have the right show. I mean, I don't have any dancing girls. I, I you know, it's just me and a mic on a stand and a little suitcase uh, sitting on a stool and a glass of water. And um, it's not. I don't. And but. It, he would even call my, I mean, he and my wife are friends too. And he would even tell her, you know, Jennifer, you should, guys should move here. You should try to get Mac to move here. Uh, and like I mentioned earlier, she's a marriage and family therapist. And he would, you know, dangle that over her too. You know, there are a lot of crazy people in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and eventually, I mean, I mean, I started working uh, the improv. When I first started coming to town, the improv was here. And uh, the comedy stop at the Trop, and um, another little club called the Comedy Max. And so I would come in and do those one or two weeks a year. And uh, and then I started, you know, uh, somehow uh, people s saw those. And then I, uh, then the World's Greatest Magic started taping here, and uh, the people from Caesars. Those were all shot at Caesars, and I hosted the taping. I, none of that stuff was on the shows, on the TV shows, but I hosted all those tapings, you know, keeping the audience entertained while they changed sets and cameras and look, looked at stuff. And so those Caesars people saw me, and they started putting me in, you know, filling in. I started coming to town to fill in in other shows that had, like, production shows and whatever, that when, when the dog act wanted to take a week off or whatever. And so, I mean, I started gradually you know being here more and more and more and then my wife and i decided we wanted to have a kid and so uh but 
I didn't, we don't want to have a kid in LA. I was gone 200 days a year, maybe uh, on the road. So uh, we thought, even if I don't ever get a show in Las Vegas, you know, if I do six or eight weeks a year in a club and then I get fill in work in these review shows, you know, in eight or 10 weeks a year, you know, I mean, that's, that starts to add up. And then I started filling in for Nick Lewin uh, before I moved here at the Maxim. He had a, afternoon show at the Maxim, Nick did. And um, so I started doing a week here and there for him. So, you know, it's like, okay, I, got, I could probably have three months of work at home, which was more than I had, you know, I mean, I was doing showcase stuff in Las Vegas or in LA, but you know, I wasn't making any money doing any of those. So yeah, they still pay the same. I I, I did some shows out in LA and you still get the $8 <laughs> for cab fare. That's yeah, your set right. pay. Yeah. <laughs> Which is I almost I would rather get zero at a certain point. Yeah, I yeah I think that's right. Yeah, I don't. But somebody really... had a question about um, your friendship with Lance. I'm gonna just uh, bring him in. Uh, this is one of the viewers. Oh shoot! Hey, <laughs> I I have a question. You're yeah. you're from you're from Kentucky. Yes, sir. How about you? Do you what prefer your hat? Is that your question? Do you prefer International Harvester or John Deere? Well, looks like John Deere's the right answer. All right, and then you're fine. <laughs> we'll get along just fine. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? For those who are watching, uh, Mac does, did not know that Lance would be a special <laughs> guest in this chat. Surprise! Surprise! Uh, is Johnny Thompson going to be on next? Yeah, he's <laughs> <laughs> no, he's in the space uh, around Lance. He's the, oh, the, okay. spirit, in the spirit space. <laughs> You didn't. You didn't tell him about uh, Eugene Berger uh, getting you to move Las Vegas, did? Oh, right. Well, that was your fault. Yeah. Well, you should tell him that. Well, uh, I was. It took a couple of years. I kept trying to get Mac and Jennifer to move to Las Vegas. So I called Eugene one day and I said, Eugene, I'm trying to get Mac and Jennifer to move to Las Vegas. So if you can like use some subliminal thing or you know drop some hints, he says, Don't worry, I'll take care of it. So he calls up. He calls up Mac or Jennifer, one of them, and says, Oh, you know, I had a I had a dream the other night and, and you were in it. And, and the amazing thing was you had moved to Las Vegas and you guys were so happy there. <laughs> so, yeah. How true was that dream or was that all just a put on to get Matt to come out to Vegas? Oh, that, he didn't, he made up that dream out of whole cloth. That wasn't, uh, <laughs> that wasn't the actual dream he had. Yeah, he did that. I asked him to, to do that and he just made that up and told him. <laughs> And then it came true a year or two later. So he was psychic. <clears throat> I'd like to think that every major life decision Mac made was because of a Eugene Berger dream. Yeah. That's my, my sincere hope. I believe that to be the case. Yeah. <laughs> you should marry Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody said that. You know, Max Maven, Eugene Berger, Lance Burton. That's, that's enough. I have a question from Chris Harper. I'll put it up on the screen. It says, any stories from Mackie and Lance Burton at Abbott's get-togethers when they were teens? Uh, yeah, well, we were in the con youth contest in 1977, and uh, Mac King uh, saved my butt because... Uh, I regret he, that to this day, actually. <laughs> yeah. He he was he was on the first morning of the competition. Yeah, back in the day, I mean, it was a powerful event. I mean, they had I don't know forty entries or something. I mean, they did like twenty one day and then twenty another day. 
So yeah, it was two or three days of competition. It was in the morning and Mac was on the first morning and I was on the second morning or so I thought. And uh, all of a sudden I just, I get a call at, at like, you know, seven in the morning because I wasn't planning on getting there early. And it was Mac on the phone saying, Hey, they have you scheduled to, to, to go on this morning. And I was like, Holy cow. And I jumped out of the bed and jumped in the shower and grabbed my doves and my tuxedo and hurried down there. And, and I made it in time to be on the contest. Uh, and, and there was a quarter involved in this. Yeah. Uh, I'm sitting here trying to think of her. Peg Weichel was her name. And because, uh, I mean, I didn't have any change. And there was, pay, you know, nobody had, a, I mean, this was 77, no pay, you know, it's a pay phone. And I didn't have any money, uh, no coins. And I went out in the audience and uh, I'm like, hey, I need to make a phone call. Does anybody have a quarter? And this woman, Peg Weichel, and we're, you know, she, uh, we remained friends after that. She gave me a quarter. You owe it really to Peg Weichel for coming up with a quarter. And uh, her son, Steve, was in the contest a couple of years later, I think, Steve Weichel. Uh, so, yeah, that con that contest happened. Uh, that was a pretty good year for the Abbott's contest. The top three finishers were Lance Burton, uh, Jeff Hobson, and Matt King in that order. And uh, so uh, if you hadn't, if I hadn't called you, I'd have finished second. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody asked me to uh, ask you about the cabin you stayed at while at Abbott's, which involves socks on a ceiling fan. Uh, it does. Um, that wasn't, <laughs> that was just yeah, no, Lance wasn't involved in that. That was, uh, he was much too famous to have been there at that point. By the way, you know what was crazy was Eugene Berger saw the exact order of who was going to win in a dream at one point. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, man, who else was on that? I mean, I think Franz Harari was on that contest. Was he? Uh, yeah, a guy named Jeff Bibick, who's a magician in Chicago. Uh, Steve Ryder, uh, who's also a professional. I mean, uh, Al Ullman, Al the Only, was in that contest. Uh, uh, Greg Otto was in that contest. Um, doing a manipulation act, but Greg was a, Greg's a stand-up comic now uh, in LA. Uh, who else was on that year? Uh, it was 43 years ago. I don't know how you can remember. <laughs> all still, I mean, it's, that's amazing. That's one of the amazing things about magic. I'm still friends with all of those guys from, you know, uh, when, uh, from when we were 16 and 17 years old, it's, there's no, I don't think there's anything like it, really. Yeah, actually, uh, Chad Long asked uh, for a favor, speaking of friendship. He's asking for two tickets to your Friday self-isolation at 3 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that would put me over 10, so I can't do it. <laughs> I love that. That, could be, that should have been the other one, the other name for this show. I was trying to figure out what I should call it. I thought who books that comes a lot, but... Uh, Oh, that puts me over the 10 would also have been perfect as well. <laughs> uh, so the sock thing, yeah, Lance wasn't involved in that. But, I mean, it, it, me and Mike Caveney, uh, Tina Leonard, um, uh, I want to say Dana Daniels, and uh, there were uh, Patrick Albanese, maybe Joel Hodgson. Uh, there were a big group of us from L.A. who were going to Abbott's and so we had rented a van at the Chicago airport and we, do you know this story, Lance? 
I th- I've heard it before, but yeah. So um, we, uh, I rent this van. I we're all on different flights because we're all coming from over all different spots, but we're all meeting at Chicago within an hour of each other. Uh, I get I get this van. I pull up to where Chris Hart is going to. I go in to leave the van on the curb, run into Chris, get Chris Hart with his luggage, and they're towing this van away. When I when we come out. It's up on the tow truck. And I'm like, I'll give you $50 right now to just put that down on the ground. <laughs> that I can't. And uh, so I, we went and got the van. He had to tow it in with me sitting next to him. And then I had to pay the fine, grab the van, come back and get everybody else. We drive to Abbott's. It's pouring down rain. Uh, we watched the show that night. It's Wednesday night show or, yeah, Wednesday night show. Uh, we're all staying in some big house that none of us have ever stayed in before. Um, and they rent out cause they rent out these houses. So Mike had arranged this house. Uh, they draw up these directions. We're riding around. It's pouring down rain. We can't see, uh, we get, there's, you know, it's like one in the morning. There's one house with a light on and we're going, and Mike goes up and says, I am one of the magicians. I'm sorry to bother you. He knocks on this door. The woman comes to the door and we're one of them. I'm one of the magicians and we're staying in a house near here, but we can't really find this address. Some idiot wrote this, but I can't make heads. And she said, well, I'm that idiot, by the way. So it's the woman who had written the directions. (laughs) And, and uh, that's like an Abbott's moment because that town is so small. That's the only way that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so she said, you're a house, you're a street off. It's, you can see it up there. You know, if you go right and right and right, it's the house right up one street over. So we get there and we get out, look at the mailbox. Okay, that's the right number. We go inside. There's a big stack of mail, all with the right number. But the place is filthy. It's like they hadn't cleaned it before they rented it to us. I mean, dirty dishes in the sink, a big pile of trash, uh, but there were clean sheets in the laundry basket, and uh, so and but also and so we're all sitting around. We're like, we do the di- dishes, take out the trash, we make the beds, and uh, we're all sitting around in the living room. And there's a ceiling fan, and I think in those in those laundry baskets there were also socks with the sheets. And so we're now we're playing a game where we're just throwing socks up at the so you can get a sock to stick on the ceiling fan. And uh, a woman comes in the kitchen and goes, what the hell are y'all doing in my house? <laughs> and we're like, what? She said, ma'am, we, we're, she said, you're supposed to stay. I know where you're supposed to stay. You're supposed to be in the house next door. <laughs> so sorry. She's in that. We'll move right over. And she says, you're not leaving here until the police come and look over this house. <laughs> And I said, ma'am, all we've done is do your dishes and make your bed and take out your trash. (laughs) I'm going over this whole house with the police, and you're not setting foot out of this house until the police come. So she calls the police and makes them, gets the poor, you know, it's like one police officer in that town. Makes him get out of bed and come over, and he's like rolling his eyes, and she leads us through the thing. And, you know, it's like the... we said, you know, ma'am, the mail was right here with the right. Yeah, that's because I'm collecting their mail while they're out of town. <laughs> <laughs> and so she wouldn't let us leave. And so that was, I, 
There's probably I knew the art of the reverse robbery. Yeah, yeah. So she was really pissed. There's no real good ending to that story. No, it's great. The first time I ever did Abbott's, I uh, because they put up me in a house with uh, Mark Halen and Ginger, uh, Jonathan Goodwin. And we were, it was like a, quite a distance from the house to the, the, the high school where you perform. And I was yeah. literally just rolling down the street with my suitcase. And that was when Kalen was driving past me. And he said it looked like a bad country music song of just the sad magician rolling down the stone path, kicking up dust. <laughs> and we have uh, a couple of comments, by the way. This guy, Robert Scheidel, said, Mr. Burden, can you talk some stories about your friend Jeff McBride? Which means Jeff McBride has a second Facebook account under the name Robert Scheidel. <laughs> <laughs> and we have uh, a howdy from Emily Gillette. Hey, howdy. Hey. How's it yeah. going? Yeah, yeah J Jeff McBride. Well, I've known Mac and I've known each other since we were 14 years old. We met at the Louisville Magic Club. And uh, I was a little older when I met Jeff. I think we were like, Jeff and I were both probably about 23 when we met but we had been we had been hearing of each other for years because we were both as teen teenage magicians were in contests and 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 they'd usually put the picture of the if the winner of the contest you know in the in the magic magazine so anyway Jeff and I had been hearing of each other for years and years and then we finally met when we were at, it was at the IBM convention in Norfolk Virginia and it was. Uh, I uh, was there with my wife. What you year? Were. I might not have even been married at that time. Oh, in Norfolk. Yeah, Jen was with me. Ah, well. I, anyway, I I was standing in the lobby. It was it was in intermission from one of the shows, and I had a I had a Coca Cola in my hand, and and I feel a tap on my shoulder, and I turn around, and there's this guy standing there, and in he's, a robe. He, what? In a robe. And no, he had on, you know, the kind of Jeff McBride pants. And uh, and he says, are you Lance Burton? And I said, yes. And he says, I'm Jeff McBride. And he sticks his hand out to shake it. And I go, and then I turn and I tap another guy on the shoulder. And he turns around and I said, hold this. And I hand him my Coca-Cola and I turn back to Jeff and I go, hey, come around. And then we hugged. Because and that was the first time I ever met Jeff, and we've been very good friends ever since. Uh, oh. The first time I ever met Jeff, we did a taping of uh, Masters of Illusion, which features oh. twenty to thirty magicians uh, every season, which is larger than its audience. Uh, roast joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, they never aired my set. Um, but Jeff, I never met Jeff before, and Jeff was in his costume, and he did a great set. And uh, he, we got we were, we get to go to the van to go back to the hotel, and I realized. Jeff, that's not just his costume. He's going to wear that to the hotel and then to dinner. And that is that is Jeff both on and off the stage. It was yeah, he, remarkable. Yes, Jeff has a Jeff has a, a singular fashion uh, experience. Uh, no, I'm jealous, especially in the quarantine. Having a set of robes would be phenomenal. <laughs> right? Are you guys wearing pants? And uh, uh, I'm I'm wearing sweatpants. All right. I actually put on pants for you. And hey, nice. <laughs> and you know, Jeff McBride. Uh, you know, Lance knows I never wear pants. You max yeah. hands up and then there's just a blur. <laughs> and Jeff McBride, for anybody who doesn't know, Jeff McBride with his magic and mystery school on, on uh, 
Mondays they have their mystery school night, and he's during the during the quarantine uh, for the next few weeks he's opened up his his uh, magic school uh, free of charge to everybody. Uh, that conflicts with Harrison's show on Monday. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> they can download this later as a podcast. We're all, we're all friendly. <laughs> but Lance, uh, we, we definitely got to get you on as uh, as as a guest on a future episode. Is there any uh, embarrassing story you would like to share about Mac before <laughs> we let you go? Max paid me to not to tell any embarrassing stories, <laughs> and I've done the same with him. So, so. Uh, Anyway, I just uh, if if I just want to say this, anybody anybody watching this, if you uh, when Vegas gets back to work and and uh, the shows are open, you know you you while you have the chance, you know go see Matt King. If you come to Vegas and you don't see Matt King, you've wasted your trip. And uh, he, he is he is uh, in all sincerity, Matt King is is the finest. Uh, magician you will ever see because he's the finest magician working in the world today. And uh, uh, you retire, you've, you've wasted your life if you don't go see him live. <laughs> and that's video. That's on video. You can't take it back. Oh, wow! Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us as a special surprise guest, Lance. Oh, really I owe you. Thank you. <laughs> hey, thanks for showing up. That that was our special surprise. <laughs> oh, very sweet. I was yeah, we can try to get him back in towards the end of you want as well. Um, showering for the first time in a week uh, <laughs> before this, I was thinking, you know, uh, this will be fun. But, it, you know, he and I just did a thing at the Smith Center for the Performing Arts here a few weeks ago or a few months ago now, I guess, uh, where the two of us were interviewed together. And I'm like, you know, that was really fun. And that'd be kind of a fun thing to do in the uh, future on here. So never mind. We'll, we've done it. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll get him back on, and then uh, we'll, we'll we'll surprise him with you. We'll do the reverse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if only I could video stream the bear, that would be amazing. <laughs> um, but let's talk a little bit about, uh, in terms of developing your show. I, I know there's people who are interested about your process and what is it, how do you develop a bit? What does that look like from start to finish? How long does it take to go from an idea to something that you feel proud of in your show? I mean, I would. I bet we're similar in that some things you go, hey, you know, at the between the one o'clock and the three o'clock show, <laughs> you think of something and it goes in uh, at the three o'clock show, and some things you think of and the you know the props for it sit in the corner, and you look at it and you think about it and you fiddle around and uh, you don't have any kids, but you know you make your daughter's friends watch it over and over again in your living room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, if I have a bunch of kids that I'm forcing to watch up in my living room. I think I get arrested. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, so, and and then it takes uh, a number of years, and so and it and then stuff you work on and you work on and you work on and you never decide that it's good enough to get in front of people. Um, so it varies from trick to trick to trick, but. Um, you know, and my show. You know, I've, when when he and I, when Lance and I did shows together at Tombstone Junction, my show opened with the rope trick, and closed with a burnt bill routine, and that was in 1977 or something. Whenever that I can't remember, 70, 
nine, maybe. I can't remember what year that. No, it had to have been later than that. No, well, right around there, 79 or 80 when we started there. Uh, anyway, so that's 40 years ago. My shows open with a rope trick, close with a burnt bill trick. 40 years later, my show opens with a rope trick, <laughs> close with the burnt bill trick. Uh, and it, you know, I've, I, since I've been at Harris, I've added maybe four real tricks, you know, like start to finish. I mean, I've tried other things and there are two or three other things that just didn't make the cut, but, uh, over the years, it's just gotten so interwoven, the show. You know, I mean, there's so many callbacks and there's so many things that, you know, if if I took if I take out this trick, that affects three other tricks. And there, it's there's so much overlap that it's hard. You know, that's the hardest thing for me is figuring out what to take out. And so in the last couple of years, I mean, I just have been, I haven't taken out a trick, but I've added like three tricks, but I've just tightened up other tricks and, you know, which is good for me. Uh, you know, tricks that were eight or 10 minutes are now four or five minutes and uh, you lose some laughs and you lose some bits, but, 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 you know, you fill them in with other new stuff and, so that's that's the process for me now is trying to figure out how to get rid of stuff so I can put stuff in without sacrificing that show. I mean, because it really does have a beginning and a middle and an end and everything is tied together. And it's it, I mean, it doesn't have a real plot, but it it does have a real through line, really. You know, you learn more about me as the show goes on, too. And so. And nobody's asking Andrew Lloyd Webber, hey, your, show, your Phantom of the Opera is great and it's been running for 20 years. Do you mind like switching out a musical number and trying something well, new in the middle? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, my, the producer of the show, Bill Volkner, who I've been, you know, who's this guy who originally sold the show to Harris, uh, you know, I was talking about that problem and he said that ex same example, except for uh, he used Wicked, which. Ah. Which is a better show for me to me, but anyway. <laughs> I also like that his reference was more modern than mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so process. I mean, you know, it's it's thinking of stuff. Like right now, I'm working on two different tricks, and uh, I mean, there the props are sitting on the other side of this monitor on my desk, and uh, a bunch of books that have that you know, kind of, I've got little bits or whatever to help me think about it. Um, uh, and uh, so this is going to be a good, you know, I think I'm going to be off work. I mean, I don't know, at least a month, another month and maybe more. And so uh, it's a good time to work on new stuff. You think the, the Matt King show that comes back after quarantine is markedly different than the one that started before it? Uh, maybe the first one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess there's no way to not be rusty. I, I, I'm facing the same thing where I'm used to going up every night and all of a sudden I'm going to be in front of an audience with maybe a month or two of no no live show. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I mean, I don't have anything in the show trick-wise where I think I'm going to, you know, there's a danger of me screwing up the magic trick part. But I mean, the stuff where somebody, you know, the the instantaneous without thinking reactions to stuff that happens or 
whatever, or, you know, I think that that's not going to be there for a little while. I, that's what I think will I'll lose for a little bit when I come back. Yeah. Somebody asked a good question that leads out right out of that, which is uh, Brett wrote, what is more important for your show? Strong magic or strong comedy? Like when you're developing new stuff is, is it work? Is there, is the focus on this has got to be really good magically, or this has got to be really funny. Is does one is does one take priority over the other? Uh, eventually, no. Neither. I mean, but at the beginning, uh, what I'm working on at the beginning is to me mostly the process for me is a strong magic trick at the beginning, trying to figure out a really strong magic trick, and then uh, I don't. You know, everything I say on stage, I don't write necessarily. I mean, I make notes and phrases and words or whatever that I want to get to. But uh, the, a lot of the funny parts, uh, hap, you know, are developed on in front of people on, on in the show. And like, for instance, I worked on a book test for, I don't know, six or six or seven weeks. And... It, I could just never figure out how to keep getting laughs through that trick. I mean, it just, that particular thing, I had a really good idea, I thought, uh, but uh, it never got as funny as the rest of the show, uh, you know, even with, you know, after almost two months. And so I just kind of put that aside. Um, uh, and that, that happens, but the joke part, I, I mean, eventually I want the, the, strong comedy and the strong magic to uh to be sort of equal i mean as strong as possible on both sides of that equation and um uh, you i'm sure you've run into this sometimes i mean they, they can work at odds as well i mean you, you know if you're if the if you're getting a giant laugh it's really hard to to have them be simultaneous you have to you know uh sometimes that laugh can take away from the magic or sometimes the magic can be so incredible that that joke, you, you got to wait a minute or the joke has to be right before, or it's got to be like some sort of tag on the end afterwards or whatever. It, it's, it's really a, a, a delicate thing to put those two things together. And I, it's like, what is the thing you can't do? You can't sneeze and blink at the same time or something like, or you have to blink when you sneeze. I feel like it's the same thing with astonishment and laughter. If you, if you try to do it at the same time, your eyes blow out of your head. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tricky. So, but, but in answer to Brett's uh, thing, both are really equal of equal importance to me eventually. Uh, you got a very good review from the Ohio All-Star Wrestling Team. It says definitely <laughs> the number one show in Las Vegas. Oh, it's funny. Nice to uh, see. Bart. Uh, hey, Bart. <laughs> if you're looking up to your website, the Ohio All-Star Wrestling Team is I into swear, you. I swear to you, Bart, that I almost wore my uh, Ohio All-Star Wrestling hoodie to this uh, interview. Oh, that's awesome. One of my most prized possessions is I managed to get an Abbott's uh, basketball jersey. Oh, really? Magi. They were throwing out the old uniforms, and I was like, I will absolutely take one of those. You stole it, right, from backstage? I was gifted it from yeah. their, their closet. Yeah, yeah. The high school coach said I could take it, so I assumed he had the authority. Oh, wow. Oh, that's a great idea. I would really like to get that souvenir. 
They should sell those. They would make a fortune. Yeah. There yeah. we go. See, we're generating income during the quarantine. Not for us, but yes. We get 10% of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had a, a bunch of people been asking about your worst shows. And a couple of people have been hinting at them. Somebody mentioned uh, Rope and Thumb. And somebody mentioned, I think, Japan. I don't remember. Uh, really, you know, I mean, I've done a bunch of different things in Japan uh, that, you know, weren't as good as they could be. But, I think the uh, reference was to your flight to Japan. I don't remember that either. Potentially missing a flight. Oh! Uh, this feels like really bad pre-show when you're on the news and you try to pre-show a news reporter and yeah, they're right. asking about the card in their pocket. And you're yeah. like, no, 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 no. Don't worry about what I wrote down. Just the thing you're thinking of. <laughs> uh, so uh, the Japan flight, yeah, that was the first time. I think what they're talking about is the first time I ever got booked on a cruise. I never really wanted to do cruise ships. That wasn't a goal or, or anything because uh, at the time, especially, there was only, uh, you know, you did one or two shows a week. You know, you'd get on a ship for a week and you'd only do one or two shows, you know, and usually in the same night. And that just wasn't enough shows for me at the time I to feel like I was going to get any better. And I, I told that to my agent and he did not like that answer. Really? <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, I, I don't want to. I was like, I can't do a cruise because I need to get on stage every night. And if I'm stuck on a boat, I can't do it. Yeah. Right. I think, yeah. I, I, Next time he asks, I'm just going to yell Corona and then hang up. Right. Well, <laughs> so, but I had, uh, I had taken, I had taken a crew, you know, this was in 1987 or eight. So, I mean, I was really hurting for money. So I took a cruise and um, it was booked by a guy named Ron Wilson, uh, who used to, you know, hang out at the castle, but he was also a cruise agent. Uh, and Ron was on cruises all the time. And so he had booked me for this cruise and I was going to fly to Japan and get on this cruise. And uh, I'm packing in my little apartment in LA and my wife was at work. I'm packing up my stuff and I'm going through stuff and I'm looking at my ticket and I'm like, I'd never flown overseas at the time. I don't think. And I'm looking and I'm going, wait a minute. I get here to get there tomorrow. I was supposed to leave two hours ago. Oh God! <laughs> and <laughs> that's the worst feeling in the world. Unbelievable! I never missed a show in my life. That's uh, you know, and uh, uh, I can't say that anymore. I did miss one uh, in October this past year. Uh, that's the only; those are the only two shows I ever missed in my life. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it was just this weird, the weirdest feeling. I have this vivid memory of just holding this ticket in my hand and running around my apartment, just like not knowing what to do. And just, I mean, literally running in a circle, like, what am I, how, how, what, how do I fix? Ah. And I, so I call Ron Wilson and, uh, and I, and, he, and I said, uh, Ron, it's Mac. I'm sitting at home and I just noticed that my flight left two hours ago and Ron, I don't, you probably didn't ever know him. Uh, 
He's one of the great magic books, too, of all time. Richard Kaufman put out the magic of Ron Wilson's great book. Anyway, Ron was this really sweet guy. And, you know, his only response was, oh, dear. <laughs> and, That's super helpful. Yeah. And uh, look to the George Takei. Oh, my. Right. Exactly. And so, I mean, so I think Ron ended up calling somebody, you know, a Japanese magician who could get on that ship in my stead. But it just, I mean, it, and so it was years and years before I ever did. And, and my used to be years, I don't know, before our daughter was born. So 22 or 24, five years ago. Uh, I used to do one ship a year just to take my wife and get to go for a little trip. But uh, that was never, you know, I don't, I think, I mean, it, I don't think it was because of that missed flight that I didn't want to do cruises, but maybe that <laughs> had to do with it. So that I, was, I had the opposite problem once. I once got to an airport a day early. Have you ever done that where you're, you realize oh, yeah. you're a day off? Yeah, we, yeah, well, uh, I did a, I was doing a show in a couple shows in Munich, Germany, I don't know, a few summers ago, a few years ago. And, uh, uh, my wife and daughter went with me and we made a little trip out of it. So I did the shows and then we hung out in Germany for another couple of days. And then we, uh, took the train to Austria, uh, and hung out in Salzburg just for a little vacation. And so we get, ready to come home and we get to the airport and I can't find your reservation anywhere. And we're like, well, here it is right here. And she's that's for tomorrow. <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> so we call back the hotel real quick right. from the airport and say, uh, Hey, have you cleaned our room yet? <laughs> Can we have that room back for a night? And so we moved back into that same room. That was, so it wasn't terrible. I didn't miss I, I didn't miss any shows back here. You know, I still a couple of days. So I think that's also a good uh, moment to bring in another question because we're talking about international performances. And I know you your bio has you performing all over the world, all sorts of different countries. Um, somebody asked specifically about uh, seeing Chad Long said seeing Mac in Havana, Cuba was one of the best performances, winning over an audience I've ever seen. Truly brilliant. Could he comment on what that was like? Could you comment on that and, and more broadly? Because doing comedy in another country, especially if it's not in your language, is insanely difficult. So, what? How do you how do you approach that kind of task? Um, I don't I mean. Thank you, Chad. Uh, I don't remember. Uh, I mean, he he said that like it was. Um, uh, like I started out terrible, or there was something at the beginning that was terrible, and then somehow I brilliantly made it great by the end, but I don't remember it being bad at all. Uh, we had, a, I mean, that was one of the best trips I've ever been on. And partly because Chad was there. Uh, I, that's just lie. That's a lie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he can edit that out though. That he yeah. can edit that part out. And then he has, yeah. to <laughs> all right. Um, so I don't remember what, uh, I mean, Thank you. But I don't remember that being, uh, uh, yeah. The, so that's what, what my, what just got posted up there from Michael Costa was, that was one of my favorites too. Um, we did a couple of different 
shows for kids. One was there was a group of kids that were like having PE out in a square and they were like dancing and uh, we started doing tricks for them and we kind of did a little show uh, and in, this was, that was in Havana. But then after that, we went to another smaller town, a few of us, and uh, we let it be known that there was going to be a magic show at the end of the street in front of somebody's garage and six or eight of us just did, you know, and kids came and sat on the ground and we did magic. And uh, one guy who spoke Spanish and English did translated for us. And so uh, it was just, you know, just a delightful thing. And, you know, it really, I mean, not to be too corny, but I mean, it really is, you know, uh, a great icebreaker. My, one of the other things when we went to, um, my wife and I went to the Olympics in Spain in 92 and just for fun. And uh, I carried around in my little fanny pack a deck of cards and a piece of rope. And, you know, anytime there was a group. Well, that's of- also the most 1992 thing you could do is have a fanny pack, period. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and doing magic. They're coming back, though. What's Say again? They're coming back. Yeah. My daughter uh, is 19 and she wears one. So and she's a little more fashion. She has a little more fashion sense than me, but not really. I mean, she don't want to, she won't watch this. So not, <laughs> much. Um, um, but I mean, I bet you've done this. My first uh, sort of introduction to doing magic or talking, you know, a talking comedy magic show to people who don't speak English was uh, doing magic for the deaf, doing a show for the deaf. And so there's a, somebody doing sign language off to the side. And that's really almost exactly the same. Cause I mean, they're, they're speaking a different language than you. And, uh, that the person, the woman who did that, it was, uh, I don't know what he's doing anymore. I haven't seen him or heard anything about him. Do you ever know a comic Fred Greenlee? From that sounds Texas? really familiar. Yeah. Uh, he was a friend of uh, Bill Hicks and uh, a bunch of those Texas guys. And um, so it was at the, I want to say at the uh, Laugh Stop in Houston. And they asked us to do a special show for the deaf. And the woman who was doing that, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, the woman who uh, the woman who was doing the interpreting, you know, talked to Fred and I um, uh, pretty extensively beforehand about uh, the way to way to do this and how to when to pause and how to because she had done this before with other comics and and that was really helpful when I went to Japan for the first time and you know it worked with an interpreter for the first time for japanese having done that for the blind and having this woman's advice on you know how often to pause and to uh, the interaction with the interpreter and the audience and the person on stage and how to kind of make all that work together uh with that her advice was invaluable and so i mean it's the big it was part of like Japan, like even though the, the translator can get the language across, 
there's still a, a cultural barrier too, because people laugh at different things in Japan than they might in Las Vegas. Yeah, I don't. You find that not to be the case. I, I maybe. I mean, when you put on a yellow raincoat and tiptoe around like you're invisible, <laughs> or if you're pulling a card out of your pants, or uh, I mean, those are pretty. I think universal. I, I think you could do those anywhere. That kind of stuff. And so I've been really lucky that my. You know, I mean, it wasn't initially designed this way. But over the years, I mean, it's turned out to be the case that, you know, uh, eight-year-olds, 80-year-olds, even harder, 18-year-olds, all over the world, there's something universal about the magic. And and the language seems to be okay. I mean, but but when you're doing that uh, in a different country where they don't speak, you know, where English isn't their first language, you do rely, I think, more on having shiny things for them to look at than you do on, you know, wordplay or whatever. And there's a level of trust, too, because you have to trust that the translator is actually saying what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, there's a level of trust, but there's also, uh, uh, if you're if you're able to convince, you know, the people who are good at it, I think, convey that, they're trying, they're trying, really. Right. You know, they're trying to make an up. They're, they're listening to the audience. And, you know, I mean, it's the same whether you're, whether they speak English or, uh, you know, uh, French or whatever. It, it, it's the, the, your sincerity comes through. It, the fact that you're trying and, and, not a dick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, for sure. Although I, when I was in Kazakhstan um, with the illusionist and we had a translator and I did a joke where I mentioned my hotel. And so I said hotel and I heard Hilton. And I was like, what? That's, I, that's very specific. And we found out later that they had been sponsoring. There was some arrangement between the hotel. And so they were looking for a way to insert the brand into somebody's act. <laughs> So he was actively changing some of my stuff to plug the companies that were sponsoring. Yeah, the joke's probably the same though, right? He'll, he'll. Well, it's funny, we, we, had, I, we had two translators. We had a translator watching the other translator and then I, I had to work with the guy joke by joke and explain to him what made each joke funny so he knew how to translate it. Right, and that's, that's another thing too. I mean, uh, having somebody who's familiar with your act. The last time I went to Japan, uh, uh, Shudogawa was on the show and uh so i mean he'd seen my show bunches of times so having somebody familiar with the show really makes a giant difference too so. yeah and i also found accelerating into a punchline was because there were some people who would give the translator two minutes worth of stuff and then pause and stand there and then the translator would talk for two minutes and i realized i can give him smaller and smaller amounts yeah, as we got towards the big yeah, punch so that it would, it would hit I was trying to when I was telling that story about meeting, uh, you know, the uh, getting the advice from the um, uh, the sign interpreter. Um, I was trying to remember some of that sp- specific advice, but and that was one of them. But I couldn't remember any specific advice. So, but that is one of them. You know, smaller chunks are better usually. And they have to sign everything, which I, I have a YouTube video of. It's it, I I kind of as long as I I clear usually clear it with them in advance. And say, hey, if I do any bits with you, is that okay? Because you want to make sure they're okay with it, and the audience yeah, right. who is relying on them to understand you is okay with it. But um, even in Kazakhstan, I, I had a bit where he had to translate, "Hi, this is the translator speaking," 
and I really want to give the performer a hug. And he would have to come over and give me a hug during the show. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would pay him in shampoo because that was the running gag for that for that show. Uh, but then it turned out that he wasn't actually being paid. And so literally he was saving those shampoos because he was getting paid in my shampoos. Oh. It was heartbreaking. I had no idea. I thought he was getting paid like the rest of everybody. You didn't get paid in shampoo. No, no, thank God. But he was nice. He was very nice. He uh, he had a son named. He goes, "This is my son. I named it after my favorite American performer, Michael Jackson." And I was like, "Oh no, he doesn't know," because he's, I guess, in Kazakhstan. The news hasn't traveled, but he's named right. his child. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's a Michael running around in Kazakhstan. Yeah. But well, we have but a question from Eric. Oh, Eric. Oh, yeah, sorry. What? Oh, I, 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 I cut you off right before. No, I was just going to say there's probably a little Harrison now, too. <laughs> exactly. The first Jew in Kazakhstan. It's going to be very exciting. Uh, this is a question from uh, Eric Mead. Hi, H. Ask Mac about the high school show and the worst introduction ever. Uh, so let's see. So the high school, I think he, there's a college show. Uh, uh, another market where I put my toe in and pulled my toe out pretty quick. It wasn't the, you know, wasn't the right spot for me. I didn't enjoy those, you know, um, in the, uh, mid nineties, you know, the, the comedy club, you know, sort of was on the downslope around the country a little bit. And so I started looking around for college work too, and never did really like it. I mean, it was, uh, uh, you know, so up and down sometimes, you know, I'm sure you've, have you done some? I'm sure. Oh yeah. Although colleges in the last five years, maybe seven years, they've gotten like aggressively it's harder. Oh really? Well, you get sent a list of you can't talk about. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. That's a different deal than what for me, my issue was that sometimes it would be unbelievable you know, you'd show up and it would be a great theater with, you know, 16, you know, students on the crew and, you know, right. would be everywhere on the campus. And then sometimes you'd show up and the posters would be on the entertainment guy's desk still. And you'd be doing a show in the corner in the lunchroom with no amplification. And, you know, and it just and it was never, you know, it was and there was never any way to know until you got there, really. And, I was on a big college tour and it was lunchroom after lunchroom, like in the afternoon sometimes. Sometimes they didn't even know there was a show, but they'd make you do it anyway. So people are eating and they're annoying yeah. you because they're trying to study and you're doing your jokes. Yeah. And I finally so I look at my calendar and the last show is in the cabaret. And I'm like, all right, it's been a tough tour, but I'm going to be in the cabaret. This is a great way to bring this tour home. And the cabaret is the name of their lunchroom. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. That's the name. Of, <laughs> that's hilarious. It was called uh, the cabaret lunchroom. Yeah. So the show, the show, what? It, so the thing Eric's talking about, I think, is uh, I get a call like a week before the show at a college, and it's the uh, entertainment coordinator who wasn't a student. You know, a lot of those guys are a lot of those people are students, uh, at least they were. And uh, so this guy calls me and says, "Hey, we just want to let you know." that uh, we're still planning on you being here. We didn't know whether you'd heard the news, uh, but we still want you. 
and this was in Mississippi, I think. And, and I was living in LA and I said, no, I hadn't heard the news, but I'm glad you still want me there. I'm planning on being there. What was the news? And he said, well, a very popular student was killed on campus two days ago. Oh, that's just awful. He says, and uh, so uh, his, uh, his memorial service we're gonna, is, gonna, is scheduled for the same day that you're going to be here. Oh, no. And I, oh. And I said, well, you know, uh, I'm sure you signed, probably signed a contract that said that if you cancel right now, you still owe money. But I'm also sure that if you call the agent and say, hey, here's the circumstances, can we reschedule, that they will do so. Nope, we want you to come. We think it'll be great. Uh, and uh, so you're going to be in the same room as this memorial service. Really? Yeah, we think, it, you know, and I said, look, I don't know that that's a good idea. <laughs> He says, yeah, no, I think as soon as we've finished, we're, we're going to introduce you. And um, I said, I don't think that's a good, I mean, I think, you know, at least give people 30 or 40 minutes so that they can leave and come back if they choose. Nope. We, we want them, we, we, we don't want them to have the opportunity to leave. We think this will be great. <laughs> uh, as a, a way to bring people back to, you know, out of their sorrow. Well, and at the time I needed the dough. Or I would have said, you know, I just think this is a bad idea. I'm not going to come. And also, I mean, it's not just that you need the dough. I'm, I don't know whether you feel this way, but I bet you do. Or and I bet a lot of people watching or listening do. Well, that's going to be rough, but, you know, I'm really good. <laughs> <laughs> I can overcome the situation. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a weird sickness. I, I've been to a lot of shows where everybody's bombing, and every comedian right before they go on goes, I'm the one who's going to break up. Yeah, wait, I'm the one who's going to turn this whole thing around. Yeah, five comics have bombed. You're the one that's going to turn it around. So, uh, so I get there, and I'm like back behind this like plywood wall, but it doesn't go up to the ceiling. And I'm putting all this little, you know, all these little things in my coat and getting ready while they're out there having this memorial service. And uh, they're talking about their poor dead friend and their people are standing up in the audience, you know, is telling their memories and they even address. And I find out while I'm standing back there, you know, putting a rock in my pocket and <laughs> loading up crap, Fig Newtons and... <laughs> getting ready to go out there uh, that the boy's mom and dad, this poor are sitting in the front. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Somebody addresses them or talks to them or they say something. I don't remember exactly how I know this, but now I know that sitting right in the front. And um, so I'm like, Oh my, this is just heart wrenching. I mean, you know, it's it's just the most. I mean, it's just the most surreal thing in the, that I've ever been part of. I mean, I I'm back there. I'm supposed to go out and do you know rope trick, and 
howdy. (laughs) (laughs) And this poor, I mean, this, the parents of a, they've lost their child who's, you know, probably 18, 19 years old. And they're right there. And I mean, it's like, I'm mocking them almost. And I should have just said, no, I'm not going out there. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, that's one of my regrets in my life that I, that I didn't just refuse to, to go out and do that. And, but I go out and just like, howdy, I'm Matt King. And I do the rope trick and I throw the rope to a woman in, in the audience. And, and uh, I say, you're going to have to come up on stage. And she says, no, I'm not. <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, you don't have to come on stage. You just while you, I'll come to you and you pick a card. I'm not picking a god, goddamn card. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, you don't have to pick a card. Um, uh, <laughs> would you pick? I'm not picking it, you know. And I, I don't remember what I, what I remember at after that is. I mean, I was supposed to do an hour. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Hayler just wrote in, hey, lady, you enjoying the show? Tell your face. (laughs) (laughs) So so, uh, I remember now I just start doing the tricks without any, because almost every trick in the show is audience participation. I'm supposed to do an hour. And so I just start narrating my show. I say at this point, I would borrow a dollar from someone and they would sign their name on it. And I would put it in one of these, and I'm doing these things, as, but no one's, there's no audience participation and there's no laughs and no applause. There's just me talking and, and maybe some people in the back got up, but everybody else just sat there. We didn't even just get, you know, it's like I've done terrible shows where people get up and leave but I've never done this terrible of a show where people just sat there and didn't leave. And, you know, and most aren't even looking at me. I mean, they just you know, they feel bad for themselves. They feel terrible for me, I think, you know, and so, you know, and then at the end, you know, I say, and I would burn it and you would tear it open and inside would be the card you picked earlier instead of the money. And the money would, we, we would think the money is gone, but it wasn't because now look, I'm taking off my shoe and inside the shoe is a, the worm that disappeared earlier. And then the rock, there's a rock in my shoe. And then uh, he would wave the wand over the shoe and there'd be a telephone. And, I, and then I would say, it's for you. And you would unscrew the earpiece and inside would be your money with your signature on it. And uh, and then we would all chant, Mac King, Mac King. And I would go off stage and I'd come back and do one more trick for my encore. And and I said, thank you. And I'm sorry at the end. And I walked off. And luckily, uh, this wasn't this wasn't like a seven o'clock in the evening show. This was like two or three in the afternoon. And my flight was like at seven that or eight that night coming back it was a you know later in the evening flight or early evening i guess and so luckily i got in a car and drove to the airport and uh didn't have to sit in that town in my hotel room i i could get home and cry with my wife about how terrible this experience was that night i didn't have to be alone (laughs) Uh, 
and so I mean, and then like a week later, I got an or two weeks later, I got a. By the way, Chris Warren had a similar thought to mine, which was he said, "Oh no, not the burnt bill routine." So did you do a trick with ashes at a? Who <laughs> made it? Uh, so I, I've I've almost only ever told this story. I've told it on Penn's podcast a couple of times, and I've told it in person once with Penn sitting in the front row, heckling me as I am <laughs> cackling with laughter through the whole time. This is the only. This was one of the only times I've ever told the story without Penn heckling me. Uh, as I tell it, <laughs> that's pretty good. Yes, I'm glad to see that. Um, and I got a note like two weeks later from the entertainment director saying, thank you for the show. And it really made a difference. And I got a specific, the, the note said, I got a specific thank you from the boy's parents uh, about uh, how much you going on and performing meant to them, which I wow. know to be a lie. <laughs> I mean, there's just no chance. Right. <laughs> um, Thanks for headlining my son's funeral. Yeah, right? And so, uh, uh, yeah. So that's, thank you. I hadn't thought about that in probably a year. Oh, <laughs> Whoever, oh That was Eric Mead. Yeah, thank you, Eric. <laughs> I did a college once oh, where yeah, they... Actually, Eric, Eric was the highlight of Cuba. Ah, yeah, here we go. Now he had chatter in a blood feud. <laughs> right. I did a college where the lady said, uh, we need you to be appropriate. You have to be appropriate. If uh, I find you doing anything that is inappropriate, because the school is called the Assumption College, which is a great name for a religious school, because it's like, is Jesus real? I, I assume. Uh, so they were <laughs> Assumption College. And uh, anytime she something was inappropriate, she would walk towards the stage one step. And she said, if she made it to the stage, she would pull my mic and the show is over. And so we played a version of Red Light, Green Light with censorship. Yeah. 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 Did and she I took fine. She, she, she didn't take any steps forward. And then I looked at my watch. I knew I had five minutes left. And I'm like, let's see how close I can get her without her pulling the cord. <laughs> so I got her closer and closer and closer. And then right before she could pull it, I was like, good night, because I know I hit my time. And I get back to the hotel and I, I felt the same way. Yours probably was felt way worse. but. I get to the hotel bar and I just kind of sigh and I go, can I have a drink? It's a tough night. And he goes, oh, are you a comedian? And I go, how do you, how do you know that? And he's like, oh yeah, every college comedian stays at this hotel and they all come in the exact same way. <laughs> Eric Mead said John Archer was the highlight of Cuba. We'll yeah, confirm another yeah. story. Yeah, that's one of the most amazing uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's as bad as the opening or, you know, uh, being the, uh, having, being open for, by a funeral, but, uh, but it was pretty funereal, um, <laughs> at John Archer show. Yeah, it was, I, that's the worst I've ever felt for a friend watching them perform. Have you ever, uh, done a charity show where you weren't allowed to talk about the charity? Uh, is that something somebody asked? Oh, I did yeah. a suicide benefit. It was a bet not oh. to increase oh. the number of suicides. Oh. I thought, I thought they don't make funny. any jokes or references to suicide. Uh, but then they buried me with an. They had all these people talking about how they lost people to suicide, and then and now you're comedian. Oh right, yeah. Uh, no, I thought I, I thought you were 
that there was some prompting from somebody else who said, hey, have Mike tell the thing where he, about the charity. No, I, I've never had that happen or I couldn't talk about the charity. No. <laughs> Ready Rich, the director of Penn Sunday School, said, if it makes you feel better, I was here cackling. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, let me ask you a few more questions and then we'll absolutely let you go. But I, everybody has been uh, chatting. I don't know if you've seen the whole list, but tons of people have written in to say that this has been a, a fantastic distraction during quarantine and, and thank you sincerely. So uh, on behalf of all of them, thank you so much for uh, entertaining everybody during this very weird time. Uh, one of the questions I had was if you could change anything about magic, one thing about magic to make it better, what would you change? Oh man. I, I'm not, I'm not much in the, for criticizing people really. Uh, I, you know, I, one of my favorite things that Eugene Berger ever said was there are many rooms in the house of magic. I think that's a, and I finished that quote. So why are so many of those magicians in the closets? Right. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, I think that's a true statement. I mean, people, you know, you, you, I've seen lecturers or reading, you read in books or hear people say that, uh, you know, it was, you know, you, you say you're interested in magic, but you don't perform or you say you're interested in magic, but you don't care about making your show better. Or you don't care about, uh, you know, practicing or you don't care who gives shit what you, you know, I mean, you're, if you're a hobbyist and you're doing it for yourself, you know, what difference does it make what you do? Um, I mean, people say, well, that ruins it for other people. And, you know, I mean, I think there is some element of that. I mean, I do feel like, and I, that when I started doing comedy clubs, that uh, you know everyone's those comics' initial reaction to me was negative because of their past experiences with other comedy, you know, quote unquote comedy magicians, people that they had seen or, or worked with or seen on an open mic night or whatever. Uh, and so, I mean, but you know, I mean, eventually it was okay. <laughs> And I, I think, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm a big proponent of just worrying about yourself, really. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I guess a couple more. Uh, oh, one was, uh, do you tell strangers you're a magician? And you meet, if, like, if you're in an Uber and they ask you what you do, do you say magician or do you have a uh, fake career that you tell them? No, I just, yeah. Uh, no, I don't, I'm not ashamed of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always get nervous if I tell them that they expect a trick and they expect all So I, sometimes I just tell them I'm an accountant. Really? Do you do that? Really? Once, well, you know what? Magician is fine because I think people like magicians. And if it's an Uber driver, they don't expect me to like do a trick for them while they're driving. But comedian, yeah. they always request you. They want you to start doing jokes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sh yeah. And so that's right. And then if you say magician, it's like, oh, what is that? They don't really, you know, uh, there's, they think something they, everybody has their own preconception of what that is too. When you say you're a magician, if you tell that you're an Uber driver, that, uh, what kind of, they, they don't know even enough to say, what kind of magic do you do? Right. So, that's fair. We yeah. had a great question from Justin Connors who said, if you weren't in Vegas, what place would your show be if you had a choice to pick anywhere else in the world? Sure. Well, I mean, I, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I've always wanted to do, you know, 
I've always, I don't know whether regret is the right word. I don't really feel much in the way of regret, but I've kind of always wanted to have like a small theater in New York, you know, with a one man show uh, uh, for, a, I mean, I don't think forever, but I mean, as a short little run, uh, I think that'd be really fun. I'd like to do that. Uh, same in LA, Chicago. But, uh, yeah. I mean, wherever I have friends really uh, is the big deal for me. And most of my friends are here or in LA, uh, really. And so I wouldn't mind living in either of those places doing magic shows, but I, I'm just really lucky that I've, you know, found this place where I can sit down and do that show for 20 years. When I initially started working at Harris, I mean, it was a one year contract and, um, the, uh, and like three months into that, I mean, the, Big Cheese came and uh, said, hey, are you interested in re-upping for more? Uh, and so we added five years, right? You know, three months into that one-year deal. But I mean, when I first started doing it, I uh, I thought if I can get two years out of this, that'll be the most amazing thing in, ever. So I, I, but it turns out, man, shoot, I really love being here and doing shows in the theater, you know, it's so great to just walk in and know where everything is. And yeah. And what excites you? Like when you walk into the theater now, does what excite you about doing the show differ from what excited you about doing the show in the first year? Uh, I mean, the first year, uh, the, uh, it's, it's no longer there, but the, menopause, the musical took, there was a small, there's a smaller showroom at Harris and, uh, the first year that was the improv. Uh, so they, in the, in, at night during the, during the nighttime, there was, a, you know, two comedy shows in that room. So I started working initially in that room when I first started at Harris and there was uh it sat about three twenty maybe three. And, but there was a curtain that went across about halfway. And so, if you put a hundred people in there, it looked pretty full. And my initial goal was to like, Hey, I want to eventually have to open that curtain. Yeah. And so, and then, you know, but before the first year was over, we, you know, we were bringing extra seats in. We got in trouble with the fire marshal for putting <laughs> 400 people in there. And so they eventually moved me up to the bigger room and that's, you know, it, now it's like uh, it, that. So that was my first exciting thing. What the first day we opened that curtain, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, this is the yeah. great. <laughs> uh, and now what excites me, I don't know. Sometimes, I mean, I just, I'm just so thankful that, that, that it exists, that, that I'm there. My, you know, we still, my wife and I sometimes not lately because of all the, shit storm <laughs> that's going on <laughs> but, um uh but we you know we'd be we'd find ourselves riding some going somewhere at night and having to go near the strip or on the strip and just looking at each other's in wonder going we live in las vegas <laughs> such an odd thing i mean something that we never thought we would happen and uh we're you know we, we wouldn't have my, our daughter if it wasn't for the show at Harris. I mean, we just 
unbelievable how it all has worked for me. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, somebody asked, if you're not funny, can I be a comedy magician? Oh, if I'm not funny, can I be a comedy magician? Well, I mean, what? <laughs> I mean, the. the <laughs> you would answer I mean, that with a question, which is why? Uh, well, I mean, why would you want to do that if you're not funny? That's the big right. question, right? And, uh, and I think, you know, it's like, I don't know how you feel about this, but it, for me, uh, you can get you can you could get better at it. I think if you're not funny, but you're not going to get great at it. You know, I mean, you can be a comedy magician if you if you're if you're a decent actor, you can learn somebody else's lines and somebody else's tricks and you know put together a show. A lot of people have, uh, but I you know I don't know what you're getting out of that and. I, you know, it seems like if you're not funny, you know, maybe there's a different avenue. You, know, you, you, can, yeah. you can, you don't have to be funny to be a magician. You can be, yeah. there are there are other, there are other rooms in the house. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although the comedy room is very fun. I don't think it's a room as much as it's potentially, it, what room of the house is the, are the comedy magicians in? Is it a bathroom? <laughs> or is it just like the bachelor pad garage? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where we're all hanging, but uh, but I mean, there's uh, it's a big room, and uh, I mean, most of my friends are in that room, and I'm happy to be in there with them. And one more question. Uh, oh, by the way, Jason complimented your Wolverine chin beard. He said it's coming along nicely. I uh, yeah, I this is the longest I've ever not shaved, I believe. I think every magician is slowly going to turn into a wizard. Right? Yeah. But I mean, I don't know whether it's going to get any longer. I I, I feel like I don't have enough testosterone. <laughs> we'll find out. That'll be fun. We could do a, a weekly Matt King beard you know, update. I'm not a very hairy person. I, I just have a bat. I literally, my chest hair is just a bat signal. For some reason, it's just like a, I don't know why, but it's just the bat. Oh, I just assumed you waxed. <laughs> oh, no, I got a little. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, the final question is from uh, Dylan uh, Weiss, who said, "Hey Mac, you're amazing. If you could give your 20 year old self advice on how to get where you are today, what would it be?" I mean, uh, our good buddy, uh, Mr. Lance Burton, uh, wrote a little booklet called Advice, and I think it—I mean—that's kind of the premise. Is and but. Uh, I've been really lucky. I, I, uh, I wouldn't change much about what I've done. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not very ambitious actually. Uh, and, uh, or I, you know, maybe I'd be more successful. <laughs> I think you're but, doing pretty well. But uh, yeah, but, uh, but uh, again, I feel like in many, many ways I've, kind of have taken the easiest route all my life and uh, been really lucky. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've talked to Penn about that a little bit. You know, he, he said that, you know, he got to be later in her life, he got to be pretty good buddies with uh, Phyllis Diller. And, and, you know, and she said, you know, I don't do anything unless it's easy. <laughs> and I, I don't, think that that's terrible advice, uh, really. Uh, 
if you think it's if you think it's hard i mean you know i mean i went through you know years of where i would do a show get in the car drive overnight stay in a shitty hotel get up and uh, do a show on you know on a piece of plywood that was held up with concrete blocks with a light that was in a coffee can you know a light bulb in a coffee can shining toward the thing with a you know a, a mic on a wobbly stand i did years of that and you know and people go how could you do that and it's like that wasn't work at all for me yeah you know i mean that was so fun uh so you know so if it's that so that's what I think what Phyllis Diller was saying, you know, if, if you're not having fun doing it, do something else. Cause I mean, the, the stuff that should be, you know, if the stuff that other people might think is hard is hard for you too, you know, you think of it as work, then, you know, maybe find a different work. <laughs> yeah. I had a psych professor who said when he was picking a major, he's like, if you find, he's he, he was like, in my college, a lot of people try to go for the hardest thing. We're like, people want challenge, but he's like, maybe it's easy. It doesn't feel like a challenge because you're good at it. He's like, if you find psych easy, it might not be because it's psych is easy. It might be because you're good at psych. And I feel like yeah, same right. thing with magic. Yeah. And I think you can go back to that question earlier about, uh, you know, if I'm not funny, can I still be a comedy magician? You know, I mean, I think the people that are really successful, uh, you know, first of all, the big thing is, you know, the people who are most successful are the people who've done the most shows. I mean, that's really the only real big advice. Uh, that you would give some my the twenty year old me, but I mean I I lucked into that knowledge or you know that theory when I was a kid, um, but it's it's really true. I mean David Copperfield's done the most shows of anybody alive, most magic shows, and he's the most successful magician alive. After that is probably Lance Burton or Penn and Teller, also the most successful. Is the rumor true that David Copperfield died and that there is a robot David Copperfield currently performing in his place? I can neither confirm nor deny that. Because <laughs> if anybody could achieve that, if there was a Westworld robot version of himself performing, it would be David Copperfield. Yeah, uh, that's probably, yeah, he has the money to, to do that, I think. Um, and the alien is just a cover. You see that animatronic and don't realize that it's two animatronics. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The little. Yeah. The, the the he's holding the little. He's holding the tiny. It's like the ventriloquist dummy who has a ventriloquist. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, speaking uh, of somebody who knew you when you were twenty, uh, as we wrap up, uh, got to bring Lance back. Hello, Lance. Hey. So so uh, I've been enjoying watching the interview and Mac. I'm enjoying watching you talk. And there's a lot of friends here. I'm so excited to see that people have showed up. And uh, 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 I just wanted to say that our friend Laura Fisher is watching and it's her oh. birthday. Oh, oh my God, happy birthday. Hi, Laura Fisher. Yeah. And uh, 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 her mom's watching also, uh, Sue and um, Roger Lovins, that we, who we first met back at Tombstone Junction, was watching a little earlier. And uh, he got... He had something more important to do. Yeah, I don't know if he's still here watching or not. But he, <laughs> he, people's schedules are pretty tight right now. <laughs> and and I think you're selling yourself a little short when you're saying that you weren't ambitious or you didn't work hard because you know first of all uh, about the whole comedy magic thing. I, I met Mac when he was 14, 
And he, and that's how we became friends. He made me laugh. So, and I've been laughing at him now for all these years. So, so first of all, uh, Mac was always naturally funny. Is that uh, Jasper? Of all, what's that? Jasper? Yeah, there's Jasper. <laughs> say hi. And second of all, you know, uh, uh, I remember the first, the first time Mac started doing that, that rope trick, I was there at the lecture when, uh, when, when the guy showed it, uh, George Sands came and lectured for the Louisville Magic Club, and Mac bought that trick. And uh, and then when we were in Tombstone, he put together his first uh, ending to the trick. He wanted to have something you know original for the ending, so he he came up. We were working together actually on it uh, to make all the pieces, cut it into little bitty pieces, and make them all come back. But over the years, anyway, the point is, over the years, Mac has changed the method four or five times over the years for, for that uh, restoring the rope. Uh, so he, he, he never stopped working on the routine. Is what Johnny Thompson, that was one of his big pieces of advice. He would always say, you know, the main problem is most magicians stop working on their tricks too soon. And Mac never did. He's always honing it and trying out new things on the same tricks to and it takes years and years to, to make it, uh, you know, what you see when you go see his show now. Well, I mean, yeah. And I think, you know, you, if you think back about vaudeville and those guys, they all did the same 15-minute act their whole lives. And it just got to be an amazingly polished thing. And so, I mean, I don't want to sound – I, I want to try to say this without sounding too egotistical – but I mean, that's kind of what I've been trying to do with an hour and 20 minutes is, you know, I've been doing those tricks so long and, but I keep, you know, I mean, every, you know, I still find little things with the rope trick, uh, uh, little thing I mean, throughout all those tricks in the show as a whole, I still find little things on tricks that I've been doing since I was 15 or 16, 17 years old. Um, uh, there's still little things to change and make it better. And, uh, that's what, you know, that's really exciting for me. And so I've been trying to, you know, inst you know, put together an, you know, 70, 75 minute show. That's, uh, that's as polished as those 50, you know, you know, it's, it's a lifetime thing that, that show, it's not just a collection of tricks. It's, that show is the thing for me. It's it's not just a bunch of tricks put together. Well, good work. Keep it up, and you're almost there. You're all you're just <laughs> far, <laughs> almost there, my friend. All right. And do you guys think because you guys have been friends for so long, but your styles are very opposite? Do you think that helps when helping each other? Oh my God, it was uh, invaluable. I think you know. I mean, we when we were at this place, Tombstone Junction. You know, the shows were, the, all the shows were during the day, but we lived, you know, walking distance from the little stage where we did the shows. And so at night we could go in there, but also we were sharing uh, like a, uh, like a trailer, like a, you know, house trailer. Uh, and we, every night we could, you know, talk about our acts and, you know, and, and because they were so different, you know, the, our personas were so different, you know, I, I mean, it, it made it really easy to, for me to talk about him and give him advice and for him to give me advice. I always said uh, that he was way more successful than me because my advice was way better than his advice. <laughs> <laughs>
Mac was a much better coach. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So, but, but, but yeah, I think, you know, and I think that's one of the things that made, made it, you know, for those three summers that we did the shows together, it wasn't just two guys who were similar. You know, I mean, it was really, uh, 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 you know, two different personas on stage and that, that made the show a little better than just two people who were similar. Uh, and also, I think, uh, I mean, I don't want to put words in Lance's mouth, but I think over the years, I mean, he was a big influence on me uh, in how I thought about methods. You know, I mean, I don't know really any comedy magicians who have, you know, 20 to 23 different body loads, you know, <laughs> in their coats and their pockets and whatever. And it's just a different way of looking at Magic. I mean, it's just not a typical way for a comedy magician to 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 put together an act, you know. And uh, so, because of working with Lance, I mean, the 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 way he covered steals and stuff with natural actions was a big influence on the way I tried to do the same thing. And and I like to think that when we first started working together, you know. Uh, he was, uh, you know, his uh, way of relating to the audience uh, was way different than mine. But I think over the course of our careers, they've become similar. He's he's become he's taken on that sort of more fr friendly, uh, you know. Uh, injected humor into the show more than initially when you first started doing it. You know, I mean, it was really, your persona was really serious and, you know, it was kind of sex driven. And it was, it was, it was a, uh, it was more of a character. It was more uh, to be yeah. it was a dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, I mean, it, it was, you know, Frank Langella or whatever influence, you know, the Dracula kind of look and the yeah. hair and the, and also, uh, Mac knew a lot more close-up magic than I did, so I learned a lot of close-up magic from hanging out with Mac. And uh, so I think we influenced each other. But I remember, but Mac has always, always been uh, had this gift to walk out on stage, and people just love him. In fact, I remember back when we were at Tombstone Junction, I had a girlfriend, and and uh, I was asking her about something I was doing in my act. What do you think about this? What do you think about this when I'm doing this? And, and one day she said to him, you know, there should be more magicians like Matt Cain. Well, I don't I think there's a better review than that. <laughs> Very nice. Other uh, than best bargain price show in Las Vegas, according to the Las Vegas Review Journal. Yeah. So, so anyway, Matt, a great job today. Thank you for doing this. Harrison, thank you for doing this. I, I know, I know you're very busy and, uh, and, uh, I just out of curiosity, I haven't seen you in uh, I don't know since uh, I, I don't think I've seen you since we were in Blackpool uh, a month ago. Oh, more. But um, you're alone in your house up on a hill. You got your beard. I, can you just show me real quick to, that your fingernails aren't this long and you're not wearing shoe box or uh, tissues yes. shoes? <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, good. I'm afraid you're going to turn into Howard Hughes. All right. 
<laughs> Although people have been complimenting his beard. He said that uh, Lance has definitely shown both of us up in the beard game. Uh, well, he's had his beard, though, for how long you've been since you retired, really, right? Yeah, I've had, I've had it for uh, since we, uh, well, since I finished the movie. And uh, so, yeah, I've had it like five years. Yeah, so he's, yeah. That's yeah. A, lot, a lot of work in that. <laughs> Talking about it, uh, that you're gonna, you're the only guy in America, Lance, who's gonna have a, a cur uh, you know, whose haircut, who's not gonna be in desperate need of a haircut. Yeah. <laughs> I've been, yeah, I have a. At the end of this, I'm gonna end up looking like Jesus. I'm gonna turn into yeah. the other famous yeah. Jewish magician. Yeah, I'm like, eh, okay, it's getting there. I've uh, been, been my life. <laughs> what are you saying? I said I've been, I've been preparing for this all my life. Uh, do you know what he's even talking about with his haircut, Harrison? Oh, no, I, I haven't seen what's under that hat. Is that, a is that a secret, Lance? I don't want to. I don't want to out you in front of these people. No, it's okay. I I think people. Have, I've mentioned it before. I have a floby. Ooh. Yeah. That is. Yeah. That's like a self haircutter. Yeah. yeah. A, that hooks to a vacuum cleaner. Yeah. Hooks to a shop vac. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, all those all those pictures that you've seen of me with the headshots and stuff. It was all the haircut was all done with a floby. Wow, that's the real work, by the way. Some people are asking for the real insight, but I think that's the key there yeah. is get a floby. Yeah. So anyway, so it, this is fun and 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 uh, this is great. I'm glad the IBM is doing this and uh, sponsoring these. And so anyway, good job, guys. Thank you so much, Lance. We appreciate it. All right. And thank you, Mac. If you, do you have any last words for uh, the audience that's been tuning in? Oh, thank you so much. I mean, I, I've been trying to look at these com comments, but I, I haven't done a good job of keeping up. But uh, it's uh, did I just see that John Archer was actually on here? Yeah, he was. <laughs> uh, hi, John. Yeah, John Archer said, uh, I never knew Mac lived so close to a sauna. I think that's based on the windows that are behind you. Oh, okay. Is that a, the, are those sauna windows? Those are just windows in my office. Ah. <laughs> I don't know. All right. But Mac, thank you so much. Honestly, if my uh, twelve-year-old self knew that I'd be uh, doing this live stream with Mac, and uh, he'd be over the moon. Um, so thank you so much um, for everything you do. Thank you so much for participating in this. And yeah. uh, hopefully, uh, my ninety-year-old or my yeah, my ninety-year-old self knew I was doing this. <laughs> would... I, I'm gonna, I'm going to plug your social at Mac King Show. If you want to follow you on Twitter, Instagram, and they'll find out the moment your show is back up and running at Harris Casino, where he's there every Tuesday through Saturday, one and three p.m., ten shows a week. Hopefully soon. Although I mean, when this was two, when this was two weeks. You know, an estimated two weeks off. I'm like that's going to be fantastic. Right. A month, and I'm like, eh, you know, a month will be good. But I, I don't know. After a month, when we go on vacation, my, uh, you know, after like four or five days, my wife will go. I know what's wrong with you. No <laughs> after applauded for you in four whole days. Exactly. It is I like think very good for comedy magicians performing for for cats and dogs. Right. Yeah. It's, it, it, I expect at some point I will go into withdrawal. Yeah. I'm already feeling it. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks uh, for having me, Harrison. And thank you guys for uh, uh, watching. And 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just saw something that Jason Mingler wrote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, boys, uh, I'll talk to you, all of you all soon, I hope. Thanks so much. And that was Matt King, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, thank you so much for commenting, sending all of your questions, um, all of your funny uh, responses. Uh, huge thanks to special guest Lance Burden, who also joined us from Kentucky. And uh, of course, a special thank you to Matt King for being our first guest on this. Uh, big thanks to Alexander um, for helping put this together. Ryan out in Toronto, who's been our producer behind the scenes, making sure this looks pretty. Um, also, uh, Benjamin Budzak, who designed the animation that will cue at the end of this, but you also saw it at the beginning. He has uh, a couple of magic products like ThoughtCast that are out. So check those out. My name is Harrison Greenbaum. Um, you can catch me uh, on the interwebs as well. Um, you can catch me, uh, if I can put that up, uh, at Harrison Comedy on Twitter and on Instagram. I also have a live streaming show called Scam Online, which is tomorrow, that's Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's a live streaming magic show uh, where magicians from all around the world will be performing. Uh, our next episode is Monday, same time, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Who books that? With Mark Kalen and Ginger Lee. Kalen and Ginger, uh, I am so excited to be interviewing them. Uh, and then Wednesday, our guest uh, is Shin Lim, which uh, also going to be unbelievable. So make sure you don't miss Monday and Wednesday when we interview Kaylin Ginger on Monday and Shin Lim on Wednesday. My name is Harrison Greenbaum. You've been watching Who Books That with Harrison Greenbaum, presented by the International Brotherhood of Magicians. Thank you so much. Please stay in touch, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>